Do you exist? I'm serious. It's a serious question. Do you exist? You say, of course I exist, Darren. What kind of a question is that? Okay. How do you know that you exist? How can you be 100% absolutely certain that you exist? Now, for decades, I thought this was the dumbest question in the world. Until one day, I was confronted with the philosophical worldview known as skepticism. Now, someone who holds to the worldview known as skepticism doubts everything around them. If you say, I know I exist because I can look around me and I can see things and I can feel things, the skeptic will say, ah, but how do you know for certain that what you are seeing and what you're feeling and what you're thinking is actually real? How do you know for certain that you aren't just some brain in a jar hooked up to some wires sitting on some shelf in a lab somewhere? I got to tell you, when I first was confronted with this worldview many years ago, it shook me. I couldn't see a way out of the black hole of skepticism and doubt. And then I was thrown an intellectual lifeline. Today, when I'm confronted with this worldview, I have a simple response. I say to the skeptic, it is true, absolute 100% certainty is not possible in this life. I agree, I can't be 100% certain about anything. However, until I'm given reasons to reject the belief that what I'm experiencing is real and true, I'm perfectly rational and perfectly justified to believe that what I'm experiencing is real and is true. So although I can't have 100% certainty in life, that doesn't mean that I can't have any certainty in life. Now, you need to know that as a follower of Jesus, it's perfectly fine to acknowledge the reality that 100% certainty in this life is not possible. In fact, it's healthy to acknowledge that reality. It's especially healthy to acknowledge this reality during those moments in life when your level of certainty is not high. When you're believing something, but your level of belief is not as high or not as strong as you'd like it to be. It does you no good to pretend that your belief is higher and stronger than it actually is. When you have doubts in life, the best thing that you can do is acknowledge those doubts. Because until you acknowledge them, you can't address them. Now, this tension between believing and doubting was on full display in the life of a father who once brought his son to Jesus. The event is recorded in the Bible in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. One day, Jesus walked up to a crowd of people that had surrounded his disciples. An argument was taking place. When Jesus asked what they were arguing about, a man in the crowd told Jesus what had happened. Apparently, the man had brought his severely demon-possessed son to Jesus' disciples, hoping that his son could be healed. But Jesus' disciples were not able to do anything. And then the father of the young boy looked at Jesus and said, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus essentially responded by saying, what do you mean if? Everything is possible for one who believes. And then the father makes a statement that every one of us can understand. Mark records, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Have you ever had a moment like that? Maybe you're presently living in a moment like that. Is there something going on in your life, perhaps your family, that's causing you to experience waves of confusion? 
How can a person navigate such moments? How can a person deal with such doubts? That's what we're going to talk about today as we continue in our series entitled Parenting During the Darkness. Now, it's a series where we're doing our best to equip present and future parents regarding how to navigate those dark and difficult days when a child rebels against God, when a child turns their back on what they were taught and how they were raised. Now, what can a parent do during those moments in life when you're watching your child struggle, when you're witnessing your child turn away from God, and the tension is causing you to doubt God's ability to turn things around? Now, while this series was created with parents at the forefront, we pointed out last week that the content of this series does not just apply to parents. Many of the principles that we're discovering can be applied to all kinds of relationships. What we're about to learn today can be applied to anyone who is feeling overwhelmed in life. So then, no matter the source of your storm, no matter the source of your present darkness, the biblical truths we're about to discover can be applied to your situation as well. So resist the temptation to tune out. There's truth for you today as well. Now, Last week, we began this series by answering the question, what should you do when the storm arrives? What foundational truths can a person stand upon as they begin to face the reality of a child that is wandering away from God? Last week, we grounded ourselves with two important truths. We learned that we need to recognize that we cannot control our child's life. We can guide a life but we ultimately cannot control another life. We also learn that when the relationship storm arrives, we need to recognize that with God, the story is not over. What's happening today is not the whole story. We need to actively trust God in the midst of it all. Last week's big idea was this. The key to surviving a storm is finding shelter in the midst of the storm. So today we're picking up where we left off last week, and we're doing our best to answer this question. Okay, so what do you do while you're sheltered, while you're waiting on God? How do you manage the tension between trusting God and doubting God while the storm is raging all around you? What can a parent do when you believe, but you still have doubts? What can a person do when you believe and still have doubts? To answer that question, we're going to glean some wisdom from a first-century Christian leader named Paul, from a letter he wrote to a church in the ancient city of Philippi, located in modern-day Greece. Now, the Philippian Christians were in the middle of their own storm. They were being severely persecuted by those on the outside of the church, and there was some serious relationship tension between those on the inside of the church. So everywhere the Philippians looked, there seemed to be conflict. Paul's advice for dealing with such difficult circumstances was this. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received from me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 
Now, I see three clear directives as I read those words. What do you do when you're waiting on God? How do you live in the middle of the tension between your beliefs and your doubts? Well, first of all, Paul tells us to dig deeper into the presence of God's Spirit. Dig deeper into the presence of God's Spirit. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the last three words in that passage are the key in my mind, in Christ Jesus. All of this mental and emotional peace, all of this mental and emotional protection is sourced in the indwelling presence of God. It's sourced in Christ Jesus. So what should you do when you're waiting on God? How do you live in the middle of the tension between your beliefs and your doubts? Dig deeper into the presence of God's Spirit, meaning be sure to take care of your own soul. I've pointed this out before, but every time I'm on a flight, I think of this. It's a counterintuitive moment. The flight attendant's at the front as you're preparing to take off, and the flight attendant gives you that speech, you know, and in case of the loss of cabin pressure and the oxygen mask is going to fall down from above you, and take the mask, place it firmly on your nose and mouth, and breathe deeply. And then they say, if you're traveling with someone with a child or an infant, Put your mask on first and then put the mask on your child or infant. Now, that always used to strike me as counterintuitive. Why would I do mine first? Isn't that selfish? Isn't that a self? Um, shouldn't I be more selfless and, and take care of my child or my infant and then worry about myself? But then I recognize that unless I'm healthy, I can't help anyone else. I have to make sure I'm breathing properly so I can then ensure my child is breathing properly. Unless I'm healthy, I can't help anyone else. This is the principle we're talking about here. Dig deeper into the presence of God's Spirit. Take care of your own soul. Now, sadly, over the years, I've seen many a parent lose their way when their child wanders. It's a strange thing to behold. Whether it's linked to discouragement, embarrassment, or disillusionment, I don't know. But I've seen it happen time and again. A child drifts, and then soon after, a parent drifts. When you're in the middle of the storm, dig deeper into the presence of God's Spirit. Resist the temptation to follow your child into the spiritual wilderness. I got some great advice as a golfer many years ago. They said, never follow a bad shot with a bad decision. Well, that similar reality applies here. Don't foolishly react to the relationship stress in your life wisely respond to it. Don't lower your guard. Don't bail on your walk with God. Dig deeper into God's presence. Resist the temptation to follow your child into the spiritual wilderness. You need to remain home and await your child's return. Think back to the story of the prodigal son that we learned about last week. Jesus told the story of a son who rebelled and left home. And Jesus said that the child eventually came to his senses. The child remembered what he had left behind at home. The prodigal child longed to return to the stability of the home that he had turned his back upon. And when the child did return, the father was there. The father was healthy. The father was home, waiting to welcome his child back. 
Have you ever wondered how different that story would be if the father, discouraged by his son's departure, had wandered off as well? When you're in the middle of the storm, when you're waiting on God, when you're living in the tension between belief and doubt, the first thing you should do is dig deeper into the presence of God's Spirit. Resist the temptation to follow your child into the spiritual wilderness. Remain home and await the return. I see a second piece of advice in Paul's words to the Philippians in their storm. Paul also instructs them to hold tighter to the truth of God's word. Hold tighter to the truth of God's word. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, when I read those words, I'm reminded of another strange dynamic that can take place amongst parents when a child walks away from God. Torn by their love for their child, confused by their loyalty to their child, I've seen parents deny what they know to be true in some misguided effort to support their child. Their child questions or challenges or outright rejects some aspect of God's word or God's design. And in the midst of the darkness, instead of holding tighter to the truth, I've seen parents abandon clear truths. I'll never forget the fall of 1972. It was the year, the season, that Canada played Russia in the famous Summit Series. It was the hockey showdown, the first time the best of Canadian hockey players played the best of the Soviet hockey players. We were supposed to crush the Russians, but as it began, it didn't look good. We ended up winning in the end, but the first four games in Canada was tough. Canada was being outplayed, the Canadians were being outplayed, and the game here in Vancouver did not end well, and the the Vancouver fans were booing the Canadian team as the Canadian team left the ice. And I'll never forget, I was just a child, I was 10 years old at the time, and I was walking to school with my best friend, whose name was David at that time. And David and I were walking to school, depressed over what was going on. And I'll never forget, my friend David turned to me and said, I'm cheering for Russia now. I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm cheering for Russia. I'm not cheering for Canada. I'm cheering for Russia. I couldn't believe it. What my friend David did when it came to his loyalty to Canadian hockey, some parents do when it comes to their loyalty to God's word. When the storm is raging, when the darkness is lurking, Paul tells us to hold tighter to the truth of God's word. Resist the temptation to dilute the truth that you know. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about those kind of things. Now, don't get me wrong. If you've become convinced that what you formerly believed was wrong, then you should change what you believe. You see, sometimes a child's struggles, a child's questions, or a friend's circumstances can cause us to confront what we believe, and it can cause us to re-examine what we've always held to be true. And if you do that, and you come to realize that your previous beliefs were in fact false, then by all means, change what you previously believed to what you presently understand to be true. I've often said that the Darren that existed 35 years ago would have some major disagreements with the Darren that exists today. I've changed my views on many things over the decades, 
but I've changed them because I'm loyal to the truth, not because I'm loyal to a family member. I've changed them because I follow truth, not trends. I follow Christ, not culture. Now, when you're in the middle of the storm, when you're waiting on God, when you're living in the tension between belief and doubt, hold tighter to the truth of God's word. And this brings us to the third and final directive that I see in today's passage. Walk closer with the members of God's family. Walk closer with the members of God's family. Now, look at what Paul said to the Philippians in the midst of their battles, their relationship tension. He said, whatever you have learned or received from me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. When times get tough, when the days go dark, Paul told them to lean in to godly relationships. Paul told the Philippians to remember and to apply what he had modeled to them when he walked alongside them while he was living in Philippi with them. See, Paul's talking about what we talked about a couple of weeks ago here at Broadway Church when we unveiled the new and improved GROW principle. Remember, we have the GROW principle here at Broadway. You do these four things and you are guaranteed to grow as a follower of Jesus. Give of your time, talents, and treasures. Read, reflect, and respond to the word and spirit of God. Take an opportunity to witness to God's activity in your life. And finally, we unveiled walk with someone. Invite other people into your life daily. So this need to walk with someone, this need to invite others into our lives is especially true when the days grow dark. Now, for example, when you're a parent and your child is wandering, the enemy will whisper into your ear that you're all alone, that you're a failure as a parent, causing depression in your mind, that you're a failure as a couple, causing distress in your marriage. That everyone else has things together that you are to blame and you should be shamed. The enemy tries to tell you that you should hide, that you should go it alone. These are lies, all lies. As followers of Jesus, we don't hide from one another. We walk with one another. We support one another. Whatever you've learned or received from me, put it into practice, Paul said, and the God of peace will be with you. One of the ways that God's peace is passed along to us is through walking closely with members of God's family. This means you should resist the temptation to hide your journey. Draw strength from those around you, those who've walked the path before you. Resist the temptation to hide your journey. Draw strength from those around you who have walked the path before you. Think about this. Do you go to a travel agent who has never been to where you're going? Or do you prefer going to a travel agent who's actually been to the place where you're going? Of course, you prefer someone who's seen and seen it and been there and, and you can follow their advice. Well, that's the power of interacting with a person who has walked previously where you're walking now. Whether it be a health issue, a relationship issue, a business issue, it's always helpful to listen to someone who has come through on the other side of where you are. People like that can pour hope into your heart. They can pour hope into your life. Listen to me, there is hope. You're in the middle of the darkness right now, perhaps as a parent, perhaps for some other reason in your life. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're wrestling between believing God and doubting God in the midst of your circumstances. There is hope. And there are people all around you who have been where you are. 
Reach out to them. Let them walk alongside you. I mean, as you sit in a church service, look around you. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect families. Everyone around you has a story. Every home has a history. So then, when the storm comes, when the darkness descends, don't hide from God's family. Walk closer with God's family. And the God of peace will be with you. Well, let's conclude. When the days get dark, no biblical passage sums up the tension a parent feels better than the words uttered by that anguished father. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. How should we live in the middle of that tension? How can we live what we believe while we deal with our doubts? Using Paul's advice to the Christ followers in Philippi, we've learned that we should dig deeper into the presence of God's Spirit, hold tighter to the truth of God's Word, and walk closer with the members of God's family. Which brings us to today's big idea. Waiting on God to see results in your child's life includes walking with God and seeing results in your own life. I'm going to say that again. Waiting on God to see results in your child's life includes walking with God and seeing results in your own life. Are you in the middle of a relationship storm? Perhaps your storm has nothing to do with your family. Perhaps your storm has nothing to do with a relationship in your life even. Perhaps your storm has a completely different source. Well, whatever the source, you're waiting on God for a breakthrough. Listen, waiting on God is not like waiting for a bus. Waiting on God is not a passive experience. Waiting on God includes walking with God. Waiting on God is an active endeavor. So there are things you should be doing while you're waiting, like digging deeper into the presence of God's Spirit, holding tighter to the truth of God's Word, and walking closer with the members of God's family. While you're waiting, you can know that God is working, not just in your child's life, but in your life as well. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are always working. We thank you that you know things that we don't know, that you can do things that we could never do, that you understand what we could never understand, that your peace transcends, it passes, it goes far beyond all understanding in our minds. So as we're watching you today, many of us have burdens, heavy burdens in our lives, perhaps loved ones that are wandering and have strayed far from you, perhaps marriages that are in difficulty, perhaps friendships, relationships that are stressed or strained, perhaps other situations that are just weighing upon us. And we are in the midst of the tension. We believe, but we're asking you to help us with our doubts, help us overcome our unbelief. We're living in the middle of that tension. So teach us your ways. Pour your presence and your power and your truth into our hearts, into our minds, as you bring people and we invite people into our lives. And may the God of peace fill us with strength and hope and wisdom in the midst of our tension. Perhaps you're watching me today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You can't dig deeper into the indwelling presence of God's Spirit because you are estranged from God's Spirit. Right now, I want to give you an opportunity to invite the Spirit of God to come and dwell with, within your life. You do that by accepting the gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus offers you. 
You see, my sin, your sin separates us from God, but Jesus did what we could never do. He paid our moral debt. He paid the debt of our sin. And so he built a bridge reuniting us to God's presence in our lives. But you need to accept this gift. Jesus has done it. He's offered you the gift, but you have to accept it for it to be um, applied in your life. Have you accepted this gift? If you haven't, right now, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that very thing. Just pray with me as I pray on your behalf. God, I admit, I acknowledge that I am separated from you. I have not lived the life you designed for me to live. I have sinned. I admit it, I acknowledge it. I don't wanna live this way anymore. So I turn my back on that old life. And I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sin. I accept your gift of eternal life and forgiveness. Now fill me with your spirit and begin to change me and transform me from the inside out. And bring people into my life that know you and that love you and that follow you, who can help me step by step on my journey towards living a life centered upon you and your presence. By your authority and power, I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me for the first time, congratulations. The best advice I can give you is to text the number on the screen right now. Now you say, oh, you're trying to trick me. You're trying to get me on a mailing list or have somebody phone me and harass me. Nope, none of that's true. We're not tricking you. We're not gonna put you on a mailing list. We're not gonna phone you. One of our pastoral staff will simply text you back and offer our services to you in any way that we can and congratulate you on taking this step as a follower of Jesus. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Join with us next week as we conclude this series, Parenting During the Darkness. God bless you. Thanks for being at Broadway Church today.